we look at this portion of Scripture. Verse number 21, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 21. In the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. It sounds like I'm in a cave. I'm just going to turn this one off. Put Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 21. What's that? Ah, preacher and a drum, yeah, for sure. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21. It says... Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Let's pray. Dear Father, tonight I pray that this verse would burn down deep into our hearts and our thoughts. And Lord, that we would have the right attitude as we uh, think about different things, as we uh, perceive your truth tonight. Lord, may we understand it with the clarity of thought. And Lord, I pray that you, we would be people that can look at situations in life and make the decisions that you would have us to make. Father, we thank you and praise you now for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we are looking at this particular portion of Scripture, we realize that there's a difference between uh, having a discerning spirit and having a critical spirit. A critical spirit is one that you want to pick apart things or individuals or situations. A discerning spirit is where you're able to look and to judge correctly whether things are right or whether things are wrong, whether they're appropriate or whether they're not appropriate. God commands for us, as we look in this verse, that we're to, uh, we're to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. And we talked about this morning as well, uh, the second point that we saw was that we're to put all things to the test. That's what it says. Prove all things, not some things. Well, you say, well, Pastor, I, I test some things, but I don't test all things. I, I, I test maybe uh, in certain areas of my life, but I don't test all the things. What does all mean? All. I think all means all. We, we come in a day when people want to split hairs, and, well, what does all really mean? All means all. All things. We're to look at all things and to examine them. And we, we look at this idea of to examine, to prove, to see what is genuine, what's, the, what's right. And we talked about, Solomon said in Proverbs 19.27, turn over there with me to that verse. I know I quoted it this morning, but I want you to see it. Because this is so important, I think, today as we're, we ha we're bombarded on every side by news media and different things of that nature, that we just, uh, uh, we just have a tendency to let things come into our mind uh, regardless of whether it's truth or whether it's not. And Proverbs chapter 19, verse 27, look what it says. It says, Cease, my son, to hear the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. Cease, and that idea here, it means to stop, to leave off. Uh, when people are going and, and trying to direct you in a, a direction away from God's word and the truth, God says that you're to cease to hear that instruction. You say, well, pastor, I just... I want to be able to listen to it so I can, uh, I can kind of uh, discern, you know, if I just listen to it long enough, I can really discern how to, to fight against it. Well, let's just get down to some things. We ought to be able to, we ought to give an answer for every uh, person who asks us uh, the reason of the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. 
But there are some things that you and I, that we don't need to keep putting into our mind over and over again. I've said this before, uh, and you've, you've heard it. If you tell some a lie the first time, it's a lie. But if you tell a lie to somebody a thousand times, it becomes what? The truth. That's how people think. That's why you see the commercials over and over and over and over and over again. You say, you know, you could almost say those commercials in their sleep. Uh, that's exactly why they do it. So that when you think about a particular product, that product comes to your mind. And you think that it's a good product, even though it's not a good product. And that's the reason why the news media has said things over and over and over, which are not true. That if you hear it enough times, they believe that you will start believing that as truth. And so God says, hey, cease. Stop listening. You say, oh, Pastor, you know, it, it's just going to pass on real quickly. But when you allow it to keep going, you pretty soon you'll become numb to it. And it's accomplishing exactly what they want you to hear. When you turn that thing off, uh, it's like some of us when we go on and we turn the radio on and we listen to the conservative radio, and these people are always uh, blasting this person, and, they're, and then you hear the same thing over and over and over again. You say, well, you know, why are you listening to it? Well, it's just white noise. It's in the background. No, what it's doing is it's embedding itself into your mind. If you just keep hearing it over and over again, how many times do you need to hear the same thing? Well, here God says we're to cease from those, uh, cease to hear uh, the instruction that causes to err from the words of knowledge. We need to stop. As I said, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 6, he said unto them, take heed, beware of the leaven or the sin of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's talking about doctrine, false doctrine, not truth, but doctrine, uh, things that they were teaching which was not right. And so he says, hey, beware. You need, to, you need to pay attention to that. Paul said, beware of dogs. And here uh, he says, beware of evil workers. Beware of concision. So he's telling us about three different groups here. They're talking about Gentile people that were teaching wrong things. But he was also talking about Jewish people. Uh, concision, those, uh, those people that were, um, that were teaching Jewish principles but were not teaching uh, grace. They were teaching the law. So we need to understand that there's a difference. First John 4, 1, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Test the spirits, John says, uh, whether they be of God in First John 4, 1. We need to test the spirits. Well, pastor, I just, I just accept it. You, don't, you know, they're not going to lie to me. Really? You can't be that gullible. You know what? Uh, the devil knows how to lie. Remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples and he told the disciples, you know, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to the cross, all right, uh, and then I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again the third day. And he heard from one of his disciples, one of his close ones, something. Lord, may it never be. You don't need to do that. He said, well, and Jesus turned to him and said what? Satan, get thee behind me. Because he knew where the test was coming from. It was coming not from, Peter's was just the mouthpiece. Satan was the one who was putting the words in, Satan, in Peter's mouth. And Peter was allowing himself to be used by Satan. And folks, can I tell you something? We can allow that. We can allow that. If we're not careful, if we don't put in check our mind and, and the things that are going on, and uh, it's important for us to stop and to ponder those things. We're to test, as we said, our, our friends. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 10. Proverbs 1 and verse number 10. 
How many like to have friends? You know, it's, you know the Bible says if, you, if you're to, uh, you know, a, a person who wants to have friends must show themselves friendly. But you know what? There's some friends you don't need and I don't need. There are some people that you and I that we need to stay away from. Here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, here's what uh, Solomon says. He says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, and let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for innocent without cause, let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down to the, into the pit, we shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil, cast in thy lot among us, and let us... All have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Don't walk with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Folks, uh, there are some people that would, that would love to go out there and uh, love to get you in, in their groups. Can I tell you something? Once you're saved, you don't have to worry about the fact of eternal security because you are secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what Satan would love to do is to destroy your testimony. Can I tell you something, young ladies and, and, uh, and, and men and women? Can I tell you something? The devil would love to destroy your testimony. And he can do it by, sometimes it's by uh, money, sometimes it's by a person of the opposite sex, and sometimes it's by putting yourself in a, in a position that causes uh, you to not be blameless any longer. It's important for you to understand that Satan wants to destroy you. He's not your friend. And the world, which is energized by Satan, is going in a direction. Remember, there was a gentleman that came to our church um, some time ago out in California. And he was caught in a situation at his workplace that uh, a lady had, uh, had seduced him, and he fell. Can I tell you something? His, his marriage, his family was never the same again. You say, well, pastor, you know, that, that, that can heal over time. You know, there's always that suspicion in the mind. If they did it once, will they do it again? Folks, can I tell you something? Don't let the devil have that place. Folks, don't go with the wrong type of company. You say, well, pastor, then I won't have many friends. It's better to have one friend that walks with God than to have ten friends that are walking in the world and you become like the world. Better for you to have no friends and to please God with your life than to have friends that are going to lead you astray. So we need to test our friends. We need to test our actions, as we said this morning as well. And we need to test our words. There are those who put their mouth in, in, in gear before their brain. Have you ever done that? Yeah, man, just it comes to, comes to your mind. Some people, they kind of try to dismiss it like this. Well, you know what? I just speak my mind. No, what happens is this. You're not a wise person. You just say whatever comes to your mind. People say, well, at least we know where you stand. Well, it's not enough just to know where you stand. You may be standing in the wrong position, and you just you cause yourself a lot of problems because you don't think before you speak. Um, it's important for us to stop and to think and to ponder. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, interesting portion of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 17, and this deals with this idea of discernment, testing our words. Here, this is a great opportunity. Jesus had said that of his disciples that some were going to see the glory of, of God. And uh, so Peter, James, and John, part of the inner circle, they were the ones that were the closest. Do you know that Jesus had some that were closer than others? 
Have you ever wondered why that Jesus had Peter, James, and John, and they saw some things that the other disciples didn't see? I believe it was this way, because they wanted to see. There are some people that, ah, you know, it's important, it's good, it's okay. But the Bible says those that seek after hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. I think Peter, James, and John, though they had their, their issues, they wanted to see God do something. They wanted to see Jesus in his power and his glory. They, they saw things that the other disciples, the other um, nine, did not see. Here in this portion is one of those times. And this is called the, the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart. And was transfigured. He was changed before them. And his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment was white as the light. Now what, what we're seeing here is the glory that was on the inside. Which had been veiled by the body that Jesus had. Now that glory came out. Do you remember when we talked about Adam and Eve? And Adam and Eve the Bible says that they were naked. And, and they, there was no shame there. Because they had walked with God. That glory that was on the inside shone outwardly. They didn't. They didn't see that. They didn't see the need for, the, the clothes weren't needed because the glory, the brightness of, of the light was shining forth. But when sin came, what, what, did they, what happened? All of that was gone. And now they needed to cover themselves. Here, Jesus is talking with them, and all of a sudden his face became so bright. And it says, that, and he was transfigured before them. In verse number three, and behold, there appeared unto him, unto them Moses and Elias or Elijah talking with him. In Luke's account, it says he was talking with him about his, his death that was going to come in, in a short while. And it says, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said, well, you know, Moses, he was pretty important in the Old Testament. He was the one that gave him the law. Elijah's, Elijah was important because he was a great prophet. And so, and you know, what, what was Peter's problem? I mean, he said, let's make three tabernacles. Let's honor these three. Because what he was doing is he's putting Jesus down on the same level as Moses and Elijah. You know, you got to remember who Jesus was. He was not just a mere man. He was God in the flesh. He was the Son of God. Look what God says here. Moses, I, I mean, Peter's just speaking. While he yet spake, behold, a, cloud, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when his disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted, their, lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Hey, Jesus is the Son in whom the Father was well pleased. See, Peter, in fact, one of the other Gospels says, you know, Peter didn't even, didn't really know what he was saying. Didn't know what to say. I mean, he was just so overwhelmed in the situation. He just felt like I had to say something. Guys and gals, can I tell you something? We don't always have to say something. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lull in conversation sometimes, and some people, it's amazing, they never take a breath. They never take, have you ever been around that? It's kind of interesting. I remember uh, visiting some folk, and uh, it, when I went to visit them, there was a husband and a wife that were just like that. They never took a breath. 
And when one would be talking, you know, usually, common courtesy, you know, when one talks for a moment, then, then that person stops and listens while the other person talks. That's how conversation is supposed to go and kind of go back and forth. This person started talking. I, I, just, I was just sitting here. One was sitting here. One was sitting here. And so I was watching this one talk. And pretty soon, because this one never took a break, this one just started talking. And so now I'm going like this, and, I, and they're wanting my attention on both, on both sides. So I'm going like this. I, forget it. I didn't have a, a chance to say anything because I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to interrupt. And the, when this one started talking louder, this one started talking louder. And you'd think for sure, you'd figure it out after a while. You know what? Mm, no. Never, it, didn't t it didn't stop. It was like for 20 minutes, it was just constant. And I said, you know what? I think I've got another appointment. It was amazing, truly amazing. So, you know, there, when there's a lull in the conversation, it doesn't mean that you have to jump in and take it over. Um, we need to test our words, though. A person who has discernment stops and thinks before they speak. Look at Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 32. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is a great book. It gives you a lot of insight. It's the word wisdom is more than words. It's more than just, uh, just mere words that people are saying. These principles in Proverbs will help you and guide you in, uh, in how to live. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse number 32. Proverbs 10, 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speak is, speaks what? Forwardness. That word forwardness means perverseness. The wicked speak perverse things. But the person who's righteous knows what is acceptable, what is the right thing to say. Let me ask you, are you a righteous person? Do you know what is right to say? Hey, when people tell those off-color jokes, do you laugh? And then and they say, well, what do you think about that? You know, when people come up to me and they say this, well, Pastor, I've got this kind of off-color joke I want to tell you. I say, well, you know what? Probably you ought not to tell me that. Well, you're not a very good friend. I'm a good friend. Because if they think that it's not appropriate, then they ought not to be saying it to begin with. They ought not to be saying it to begin with. You know, a person has a discernment on what to say. And, and uh, you know, when the person, they know how, how, when to speak and when to remain silent. Look at Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 12. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 12. It says this. He that is void of wisdom despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding, uh, understanding holdeth his peace. You know, there's a time when you just need to hold your peace. Not everything that a person says do you have to respond to. Have you ever responded to something and afterwards you thought, why in the world did I say what I said? Because of here, this verse, very important, a man of understanding holdeth his peace. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 28. Proverbs 17, verse number 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. But he that uh, shutteth his lips, uh, excuse me, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. You know, there's some people... They just sit there and they look at you while you're speaking. They just watch what they just watch. They're processing, they're thinking, 
I used to have a gentleman like that in our church and, and uh, didn't say much. You could tell the wheels were turning when you were saying something, though. He was processing what you were saying. He was analytical, if you would. And he would sit and he would think about what you're saying, not just, you know, flapping your gums. He was, he was trying to, to get in his mind what you were trying to say so he could talk intelligently. And so here in this portion of Scripture, it says, even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. When you hold your peace... You're counted wise. Uh, we, we just think that, like I said, we have to say something to every situation. Not true. Look at Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 11. Proverbs 25 and verse number 11. Proverbs 25, verse number 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. You're saying, Pastor, what in the world is that talking about? A word fitly spoken at the right moment, at the right time, is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Uh, Hen uh, Matthew Henry in his commentary said this in that verse. He says, a word upon the wheels, that, that fitly spoken is upon wheels. A word fitly spoken, a word upon the wheels that runs well is well circumstanced. In proper time and place, instruction, advice or comfort given seasonably and in apt expressions adapted to, uh, to the case of the person spoken to and agreeing with the, chat, uh, the character of the person speaking is like golden balls resembling apples or like true apples of a golden color. So in other words, when you say the right word at the right moment, it's like that wheel that's running smoothly. Have you ever had some a wheel that's kind of been out of balance or been out of, not not quite synced just right, just doesn't work just right? Well, that's when we say a word and we ought not to speak. You can say the right word, a word of comfort or the word of encouragement at the right moment, and it can be a balm, it can be a help to a person. You can say that wrong word, and it can destroy that person. That's why Jesus said a smoking flax, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't quench. A bruised reed, Jesus wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, crush that bruised reed. He would try to, to help it to stand back up. And your words and mine do exactly the same thing. The word fitly spoken at the right moment. But that means you have to sit and ponder your words before you speak. Do you prove your words before you speak? Do you stop and think? about the impact of your words before you say your words? Or do you have, uh, or do you fail to have the, the discernment and just say whatever comes to your mind? I don't know about you. I have to raise my hand. There are times when I say stuff that I, it's not fitly spoken, not at the right moment. Maybe at a different time, it would be the appropriate right time, but not at this time. And so we need to stop and we need to ponder. All of us need to do that because that, that's part of having a discerning mind. Um, look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, and verse number 19. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I like this because, you know, 
And I've heard people say, I've got so much to say. Somebody told me that the other day. I've just got so much to say. I said, just be quiet. But I've got so, just, it was a young person. I said, just, just calm down. Um, but it's so important. I said, probably is. But God also says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance is self-control. And learning to control this is very important. The Bible says in James 3, it says 3, 1, uh, it says if we can learn to control this, we can control the whole body. But look at James chapter 1 and verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. We're to be swift to hear. We're to, do more time, we're to spend more time listening than we do speak. That's a discerning person. We also need to have discernment to test our motives. Say, Pastor, what do you mean test your motives? Well, let me ask you a question. And I'm just going to point a couple things out and just I'm going to come to a portion of Scripture in a minute and we'll examine it. Test our motives. So what, when I pray publicly, why am I praying publicly? You don't need to say anything. Why do I give? Why do I fast? You say, well, pastor, I'm, you know, because the Bible says so. Well, you know, not everybody does it for the right motive. Matthew chapter 6, look back there with me. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, hits these areas. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says, Take heed. He's, remember, the people are all listening. They're all around Jesus, and they're listening to him speak. He says, Take heed, listen, if you would, that you do not your alms or your giving before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. If you give to somebody and you let them know that you're giving this, he says, You know what? You've got your reward. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites. You say, what are they talking about? Well, when some people would give, they go, da, da, da. Yes, I'm giving $1,000. I remember hearing a preacher from a pulpit. He was trying to motivate some people to give for a building, um, building project. And he used a portion where David gave, uh, laid up, for Solomon, so Solomon could build the temple. And so then he comes up and he says, now I have given, once he'd gone through the preaching part, he says, I have given, and he said how much he gave. Guess what? His reward was all done. He motivated other people because they thought, well, man, if he gave that, then I'm going to give this. Well, but consider what God says here. He says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. There's no eternal reward with that. They're done. It's all done. Their reward's gone. One day, God's going to give crowns for service in different areas. But these people that do this, their recognition is all gone. Keep on going. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thine left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms 
may be in secret, and the, and the Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. You know, I, I've heard people stand and, and, and pray, and they use all these big words, thou that lovest, thou omnipotent, omnipresent, om, you know, trying to impress people with all their big words. Can I tell you something? They have their reward. Their motive is wrong. When you're praying, you're to be praying to God. Hey, and it's not about me impressing Dalen about my prayers or my words. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I just don't know what to pray. Hey, won't you just pray what's on your heart? God wants to hear what's on your heart. What's the burdens of your heart? It's not about how long your prayers are. In fact, as I've shared with you before, the prayers that you see many times out in public are short. But that the people that are praying and have the power of God have prayed much in private. I think of Elijah when he prays for fire to come down from heaven to consume the sacrifice. It was short, just a little short prayer. But you know what? There was prayer going on behind that. And folks, may I share with you when, when Jesus prayed about Lazarus, you know, to arise, that prayer was real short. But there was prayer when Jesus would go to the, the mountain pray all night to his heavenly father. He says here, he says, they have the reward in verse number five. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the father which is in secret. And the father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. You know, saying the same things over and over again. You know, you got the, the beads and people pray for the beads and they say, you know, say ten Hail Marys and pray these days. Folks, can I tell you something? God calls that heathen. That's what the heathen do. That does not, God's not impressed by how many times you say the same thing. And it's, it, it's you know, I remember um, one lady who was uh, uh, in a doctor's office. She had asked if I would go with her to the doctor and so I did and, and went with her and she was going through a kind of a rough time and the doctor was trying to kind of test her and see where she was mentally. And all of a sudden, the doctor walks out and she just starts saying the name of Jesus over and over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm looking at what in the world is going on? And I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm just claiming Jesus. I'm just claiming Jesus, Jesus, and just saying it repeatedly over and over and over and over. Folks, that is what the heathen do. The pagans, the lost people. Jesus said here in this portion of scripture, he says, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not uh, ye therefore like unto them, for the, your father knoweth what, you have, uh, what things ye need uh, them before ye ask. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our Father which, is our, which art in heaven. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not the Lord's Prayer because he's telling people how to pray. This is the disciples' prayer. If you want to be a disciple, here's a basic outline of what to pray for and how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First part of that gives glory to God. Give us this day our daily bread. He's talking about, Lord, uh, praying for your provisions. And Lord, there's certain things I need today. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hey, we're to, when we pray, we're to ask for forgiveness. 
for sins and different things that have gone on. And lead us not into, tem into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, please keep me safe and close to you today. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now notice he said, well, here it didn't say in Jesus' name because Jesus is just starting this earthly ministry. And it wasn't until he was getting ready to go to the cross, he says, up to this point, you have asked nothing in my name. But now, from this point forward, ask in my name that it may be given you, that your joy may be full. This is still part of the Old Testament. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your, your Father forgive you trespasses. Notice something else about fasting. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of the sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. When people were fasting, the hypocrites would say, Oh. I haven't had anything to eat for a long time. I'm just doing it for God. Jesus is saying, don't be like those people. Look at what he goes on to say. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. It's all done. They're not doing it unto the Lord. They're doing it so that people will acknowledge them and say how spiritual they are. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee, what? Openly. See, we need to judge our motives. Why do I serve the Lord? Well, so that people will look at me and think I'm pretty spiritual? Why do we serve the Lord? I don't know about you, I want to serve the Lord so that I can please my Father. I want to do what He commands. I want to do the things that's going to build His kingdom, the kingdom of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care whether people know who I am or not. It's not That's immaterial. It means everything that they know who Jesus is. And we need to point people to Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Him. What's, what's our motivation? Why do we serve? Why do we live? Why do we take a stand the, that we do? Is it so that people will notice us and look at us, or is it that they will look to our Father? I think what Jesus said is this in Matthew 5, 16, Let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's more important that people know our God. He's the hope. He's, he is the one that can help us. Why do we do what we do? Is it for selfish gain or is it to lift up the Lord? A little farm boy got a white football for Christmas and he played with it for a, uh, for a while but it accidentally kicked it over the fence into the neighbor's yard and the old rooster ran out and he looked at it and he called the hens to see it. And he said, now look here. You, I don't know. I want you to, to, to think and, uh, and don't think that I'm complaining but I want you to see what those other people, are, those other hands are doing on the other side of the fence. They saw this football, white football. Folks, can I tell you something? Some of you will catch it in about two or three hours, uh, maybe. What, what is our motives? 
What is our motive? Why are we doing what we do? Is it worldly? The Bible says in 1 John 2, verse 15, go back there, 1 John 2, 15. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does that bother you? Does that, does that even penetrate your heart? Here in this portion of Scripture, it says, love not the world. And it's really, it's a, it's a, in the Greek, it's this idea, stop loving the world. The world's philosophy, it's not, we're not talking about the beauty of the sun, the moon, stars. That's not what we're talking about. Stop loving the philosophy and the direction of this world. Stop loving it. There's a lot of Christians that are loving the world. And he's going to tell you what it, what it entails here in a moment. He says, because if you love that, he says, let me just tell you, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Boy, you know what? This makes my flesh feel good, so I'm going to do it. Lust of the eyes, very next thing. Boy, I see it, I want it. And the pride of life. The pride of life. I deserve it. I want it. This belongs to me. I've got my rights. That's pride. It's plain and simple. Look what it says. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father. Hey, this is discernment. It's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'm supposed to be able to have discernment between living in the world and living for the world and living for Christ. I'm not my own. I'm to live for Jesus Christ. So many people today, they live for the world and they can't discern that that is not from God. Can I tell you something? It's all important for us to have a job. To make money so that we can, so we can eat. We talked about that. But may I share with you that your job is not more important than to live for Jesus? Some people have put their job above Jesus in their life. Their job controls them. Their job is their all. May I share with you, if you understand what this is saying right here, you're loving the world. There are some people that love their hobbies more than they love the Lord. Can I tell you something? When your hobby takes the place of Jesus in your life, You've got an idol in your life. You've got a God in your life, and you don't love the Lord. It's not from God. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You know, I need to go golfing. I need to go fishing. I need to go shopping. I mean, it's just in my blood. No, it's in your mind. And the battle that we have is in our mind. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's nothing wrong with shopping, but it's in the right place. There's nothing wrong with money in the right place. See, it's when we put these things above God and those things start taking over our thoughts and we can't think of anything but this. Can I tell you something? It has control of your mind and it's not of the Lord. And your motive is wrong, no matter what you may say. Well, I'm just providing more for my family so my family can have more. It's amazing when people provide so much for their family in, in the way of money that they don't, they don't provide for them in the area of spiritual. Because spiritual is more important than anything. 
What Jesus said, what if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? There's nothing. There's nothing more important. So what are, what are our motives? Do we test our motives? Is it worldly? Is it right? As we think about this, the Bible, back at 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, uh, prove all things, hold fast. This is the next point. We are to hold fast to that which is good. Hold fast to that which is good. That word hold fast means to retain, uh, to keep secure, keep firm, to keep firm that which is good. Good according to whose standard? God's. How will we know whether something is good or not? Look at Romans 12. Every one of us can determine whether something is good or not. You say, remember that, that illustration I gave you this morning, that that, that, that uh, place wanted somebody to go and test the chocolate to see which is the best chocolate to be uh, used there in England. And they were going to pay them. They could go all over the world. Well, maybe the chocolate that they are tasting would not necessarily be the chocolate that you would like. There's some chocolate that's kind of like, kind of makes you curl up in your eye on, and stuff. You say, Oof, this, is, this is good stuff. You know, it's got kind of a bitter taste to it. Some people like that. But may I share with you, when we look and hold fast to that which is good, God sets the standard of what is good and what is acceptable. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul's speaking, and it's always just amazing to me in, this, in these portions, this portion. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to Christians. He says, I beseech you, therefore, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, considering how God's been merciful to you, that ye present your body a living sacrifice. It's like here is an altar, and it's now time for you to surrender your life upon the altar and give it to God for God to use. See, you were bought with a price. I was bought with a price. And God says, wait a minute, if I've been brought, bought with a price and I'm going to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are the Lord's, then he's telling you what, what type of sacrifice. It's not, a, it's not a sacrifice which is all spent and used and it's like, you know, garbage. No, look what he said. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Every day you live, your life is to be lived for Jesus. A living sacrifice. Holy you know, today, in the day in which we live, not much is talked about holiness. Holiness is not, is not a subject that many people like to hear because holy means pure. Pure in mind and pure in body. To live a life that's right and righteous and holy. He says here in this portion that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, notice, acceptable unto God. Do you realize that the picture here is that back in that Old Testament, when people would come and there would be a, there would be a lamb that would be all emaciated, or there, it would have a broken leg or something like that, they were going to offer it to God. Because, you know, you've got to offer something to God. And they'd bring it, and God says, should I accept that? Would you go to your governor and offer that as a, as a gift to your governor? You wouldn't do that, but you'll offer it to me and think that I'll accept it. You know what? That's what, how some people in their life, this is what they do with their life. They, they come and they, they destroy their life and they, and they mess it all up 
And, and then he said, now, God, now, here, now, I want you to bless me. I, 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 bless, I want you to do something with my life now, you know, now that, that I've messed it all up. And, and, and it's not I'm surrendering my life to you. God can change your life. But they want God to fill them and to bless them because they're living evil. Can I tell you something? It doesn't work that way. He's talking here that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that you present. And be not conformed to this world. Hey, that's that same idea again. Don't let the world conform you. Don't let the world make you into its model, into its role. Don't follow the direction. You know, some young people, some guys who like to play basketball, they would look at Magic Johnson and some of those different people like that, and they'd say, man, that's what I want to be like, and they pattern their life. Some young people would pattern themselves after some rock star. I remember I was traveling with a group from our Bible Institute, and uh, the, uh, the parents, uh, they, we needed a place to stay that night, and it was the parents of some of the folk from the church, and they said, well, you know what, we can put a couple of guys up, and, and the daughter, they moved into another room, and and uh, there, there was another gentleman and myself, and we, this lady had, this girl had uh, beds in her room, and so he slept in one, I slept in the other. And all on the walls were nothing but a bunch of rock stars uh, that, uh, that were evil. And it was interesting, at the table, the parents were saying, you know what, we just have a problem with our kids. We just don't understand why it's, they're, they're acting the way that they're doing. They're rebellious. They're nasty. They're, they're mean. They don't listen to us. And I said, well, I can tell you, you're putting that stuff up on the walls. They're allowing that to be put up on the walls, and that is what they are going to become like. God says we're not to be conformed to this world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, the old song says. Treasure, treasures are laid out somewhere beyond the blue. The Bible says the same thing, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How is your mind renewed? By this book right here. But you are clean through the word, Jesus says, which I have spoken unto you. By hearing the word of God and applying the word of God to your life, it will clean up your mind. That you may prove, notice, that you may uh, prove, to put to the test, what is that good? That which is good is what God, God's will is. God's will is good. His will is good. So, well, I wish I knew what God's will is. It's that which is good. God's will is good. It's acceptable. How will I know what's acceptable to God? This book will tell you. You spend time in God's word, you'll know what God says is acceptable. How about being honest? Is that acceptable unto God? Being truthful, being people of integrity. Exactly. That's what God's word teaches, those principles. And as you see those things, hey, we ought to be people of integrity. We ought to be people of our word. We ought to be people who are honest. We ought to be people that are righteous. We ought to be people who don't sin because it's acceptable unto God. And notice what he says. And perfect. We can know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The perfect will. Every one of us can know that. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the Sunday school teacher. It's for every one of us. But the only way that you and I, that we will know what is that good and perfect will of God, an acceptable will of God, is for us to be in the word of God. You'll never know it. And can I tell you something? 
let me just go on one step further. You're not going to know it enough if you only do it on Sunday and Wednesday. You need to be in the Word of God each day. Because as you fill your life, whatever you fill your life with is what you're feeding to build your life. Are you building it with the things of the world? Or are you filling it with the things that are spiritual that are going to build your spirit? They say it only takes 72 hours to read the Bible through from beginning to end if you start with just a normal reading time. And yet people don't want to spend 15 minutes a day to read God's Word. See, folks, it's just like eating. I don't know like you. I like to eat. Anybody not like to eat? We get up and we have to have our coffee and have our toast and have our breakfast. And then we kind of lunch time. And then, you know, we like to eat kind of in the evening time sometimes. You know, one of the young people said, well, I eat morning and evening until they heard the other day, until they heard something that really rang their bell. And all of a sudden, now I'm hungry. Folks, that's exactly how we are. What, what rings your bell as a Christian? Is it the things of the world or is it the things of God? We're to hold fast to that which is good. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. A cause to grow up. That transforming, it, that, that idea there, that renewing, it, it means to grow up. To make new. What are you holding on to? Are the things which are good and of good quality, the things that you're holding on to, or are the things that are worthless? Have you put the word of God in your life to the test to evaluate what is right? Or have you failed to examine your thoughts and your words, your motives, your friends, your deeds, the situations of life? Well, just whatever comes, comes. I'm going to do whatever I want to. That's not what God calls us to do calls us to have a discerning spirit. To prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Perhaps you've been embracing some things which God's holy word has said is wrong. It's time for you to have a discernment and say, you know what, God? I've sinned. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I tell you, there will never be joy in your heart as long as you are disobedient to the Lord. People say, Pastor, I just want joy in my life. Don't we all? But joy comes because you're spirit-controlled. The fruit, the evidence of the Spirit of God and control of your life is love, joy, and peace. If you don't have love and you don't have joy and you don't have peace, can I tell you something? The Spirit of God is not in control of your life. Because God says that's the byproduct of allowing the Spirit to be in control. Peace and joy come when we're walking in the light as he is in the light. Tonight, as we conclude, do you have a discerning spirit? I'm not talking about a critical spirit. I'm just saying a discerning spirit. Can you discern what God's will is? Can you discern what is right in accordance, not by what you think, but what does God's word say? So many people are living by, well, I think you're living by your thoughts. It's interesting when you compare your thoughts to God's word. God says, my ways are not your ways. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. You know what's interesting? 
Usually when man tells us his ways, they're usually 180 degrees off from God. We need to get in line with the Lord. Discerning spirit. Why? Because God wants the best for us. Not the worst. He wants us to have his spirit to be in control. I pray tonight that you have God's spirit in, you, in control of your life. Amazing thing. Nobody can make that happen for you unless, but you. You have to come to the place where you say, Lord, I want to have that type of spirit to discern what's right and wrong. And then I have to do what God's word says to study, to understand, so that I can be able to make those right choices based upon God's word so that I can have God's peace and God's direction in my life. Let's pray. Dear Father, tonight as we conclude this portion, Lord, I pray that, that we would have a discerning spirit, that, Lord, that we would walk in truth and in righteousness, the Lord, that we would allow your spirit to guide our thoughts, that we would examine our motives, that we would examine our friends and our words, that everything we do, Lord, would come into our uh, area of our mind to examine so that we would do those things which are pleasing and right in your sight. Lord, I pray tonight that we would walk worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called. Lord, may we live for Jesus. May we lift up our Savior. May we hear those words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, you're not going to say that if we're not good and we're not faithful. It's not like it is down here on the earth where people just say those things even though it's not true. Father, by our works and our words, we're going to be judged one day. So, Father, I pray that our life might reflect Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's one without Jesus tonight, I pray that they would come to that place and ask him to be their Savior. He's a wonderful Savior, your Son is. Thank you for giving your Son as a gift to mankind, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would treasure Jesus all the time in our life and share that gift with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Brother Scott is going to lead us in a song of invitation tonight. And as God speaks to your heart, let me encourage you to, if you're not sure you're saved, come and get saved tonight. It's very simple. Acknowledge you're a sinner. Believe that what God said about his son, Jesus died for you. He died, shed his blood as a payment for your sins. He was buried and rose again. If you will be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Claim him, ask him to be your savior by faith. You can be saved tonight. Won't you do that? Folks, for some of us tonight, we've not had a discerning spirit. Tonight's the night to start. If God's speaking to your heart, why not come to the altar and get some things right with God? Don't put off. Do it.